So, Ed, we basically are Arsenal now, right? Loads of tippy-tappy possession and uh, celebrating the fourth-place trophy like we've won the league. Yeah, well, Reds won one and lost one this week, didn't they? So, uh, a much better result for Manchester United than uh, the general election result, if you're a Red in that uh, sense. Um, 10 out of 10 result for United. That's exactly what United needed. Uh, About a... Three or a four out of ten performance, at least in the second half. Much better in the first half. Not great, um, but then again, over the last few games, we've not come to expect great, have we? No, and um, plenty of mitigating circumstances for the performance. Just like the general election was a result of a perfect storm of uh, circumstance coming together to enable the unpleasant right-wing majority that we've ended up with in the second half of that performance. A perfect storm of injuries came together to make sure that we weren't particularly effective on either flank. Although, as is often the way, the left was slightly more effective than the right for United. Yeah, we, we could continue this for a while, couldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, we've, we've had an unpleasant right wing for some time, but it's an unpleasant right back at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, geez, Antonio Valencia is bad. But, but there's, uh, he wasn't the only one who was bad. There were some good things to talk about, but uh, largely ineffective United, especially in the second half. I think it was amazing how much Palace dominated, if not possession of the ball in the second half, then than the pattern of play. You know, they were able to get on top of the game and create a lot of chances. And, and in the end, if you're a Palace fan, you probably walk away from that thinking you're pretty unlucky. Not not just because it was a spirited performance in the second half, but United got pretty fortunate with some of the decisions. Blatant foul by Falcao in the lead-up to Fellaini's goal. Probably the best thing he's done all season, to be fair. Borderline penalty for United, I thought, for the first goal. Certainly hit him on the arm, but it was very high on the arm and could he do much about it? Um, and, and then potentially a penalty for, for Palace as well when yeah. punching went down rather theatrically, although that one uh, I'm not sure I would have given. So, you know, some fortune for United, but that, does it matter right now? I mean, United are 99% of the way there now. Uh, we're recording on Sunday before the Liverpool-Chelsea game. Let's expect a good result for Chelsea. Liverpool have to win at Stamford Bridge, and nobody ever wins at Stamford Bridge. I mean, I'm assuming Liverpool are going to win at Stamford Bridge today. You'll probably know the result of that game by the time you hear this, but my current operating assumption is that Chelsea will have, you know, they've they've won the league, they've celebrated. It seems unlikely that they're going to muster a particularly effective performance. There will be some... Uh, rotation, I'm sure, by Marino to give a few people a chance. So I don't think that bit of it's a foregone conclusion, but I do think we'll be able to get some some of the more points that we need. And Liverpool might just crack under the pressure, you know, that's the other possibility. But but yeah, so it's it's a huge step. I, I don't think I'm prepared to say we're 99% of the way there myself. I think we're maybe 70% of the way there, um, given that we only need one more win out of the two games. But we do, pro- we do need one more win if Liverpool do win those games. Yeah. Well, Hull will be fighting for their life on the last day, for sure. So they, they won't be down by then and they're, they're a point ahead of Newcastle United. So it's going to be super, super tight. Um, Hull go to Spurs before then, so they could be absolutely desperate for a win. So you'd kind of like United to wrap it up. So I'm, I'm going for a Chelsea win today, just to just to sort that one out. Yeah, every chance Mourinho plays the youth team. Uh, youth team, of course, we won the FA Youth Cup this year, so they're, they're a pretty good youth team. Um, he let his players go off on holiday for the week, didn't come back till Thursday night. 
so they've not exactly been preparing correctly for this game either. Though. No, so I, I just I think the chances of a Chelsea win are, are not that great. But anyway, the, that's discussing something that's already happened as you hear this. The the Palace game, of course, has also already happened um, when you hear this. But let's, let's have a chat about that. You, should we start with the penalties? I, I thought that our penalty was definitely a penalty and he could have done a lot about it because he moved his arm towards the ball. Ashley Young was quite away from him when he fired the ball in and I thought Scott Dan just got his body geography mixed up and it was quite high on the arm and but he chested it onto his own arm just a bit casual. It's kind of unfortunate because he obviously wasn't trying to gain an unfair advantage or anything. But nonetheless, he he just messed it up and gave away a penalty, I thought. Yeah, the only thing I'd say is I'm not sure that the referee was in a great position. I think he probably guessed that it was a penalty. Right. Um, So you're definitely going to feel unlucky there. It's not as if he's put his hand out and palmed it away or dived across the goal and pushed it away as Stuart Pearce did all those years ago for England. Um, So uh, it's definitely not one of those 100% handball penalties I don't think he's trying to handle it by any means but you're right he got himself in a an unnatural position so um yeah probably borderline and then punching well you know matter caught him but not all contacts are foul right and and uh, he's you know dived basically in order to try and con the referee and the, and the referee hasn't bought it which I thought was quite impressive given that you know he was under a great deal of pressure to even up the score and uh, actually, Oliver is a—he's an odd referee, isn't he? I mean, he's very young. He's one of the younger referees, and I do think he's improving actually. And and I, I thought it was quite impressive that he didn't crack under the pressure to even up the score. It felt like we've seen a lot of referees give a slightly contentious penalty in an away game, and then you know just spend the whole rest of the game waiting for a moment to uh, make it right. Yeah, a lot of them do because a lot of them are weak personalities. Uh, just because they're, they're referees doesn't mean they're strong people. And um, Oliver did all right there. He's not one of the ones who I would say you know falls into this trap of of uh, becoming his own parody as Clattenburg has. Um, so he's you know he's quietly sort of ineffective as most of them are. <laughs> it's a tough job, isn't it? Though it really is. I, I think about this sometimes. Like referees get judged against the most ridiculous standards because we see the incidents tens of times that they saw for a split second once. Mind you, they are supposed to be at the peak of their profession. So um, just as I could not pull off that volley that Wan Mata did at Anfield. So, you know, we wouldn't expect the normal public to be able to referee a game to a professional standard. And we do expect a professional referee to do it of course they get paid to do this so i think we can hold them to very high standards because that's what we're expecting really it's the pinnacle of the game we expect all parts of it to be the pinnacle do we not uh we do but it's just it's just the thing about vision and perception and i I think it's yes we we want referees to be consistent within their own logic you know that we want them to be consistent and fair and balanced on either side and we want them to get themselves in the right position as often as possible and we want them to make the right decision as often as possible but I think we build an unrealistic expectation based on the amount of information we have compared to the amount of information they have and I I think sometimes people don't really filter out the fact that actually what the referee has seen 
was a split second moment and there is only so good a human can possibly be at that. They're going to make mistakes. We we expect a very high standard of footballers, but we understand that not every shot they that a striker takes is going to hit the target, right? Yeah, but they're judged more like goalkeepers, I suppose, by their m- mistakes than their correct calls. Anyway, uh, yeah. we're in danger of becoming match of the day here. Match of the day uh, goes <laughs> on for an hour and a half, and one hour and 25 minutes of it is discussing the referee or discussing managers discussing referees, and occasionally they show some highlights for... Some football. There were a few highlights yesterday for United. So not only Wayne Matters finally taken penalty. Have we actually found a penalty taker, Paul? After uh, Robin Van Persie and, and Wayne Rooney conspired to miss about 30 penalties in a row. Did you see the little graphic before of, of his misses versus his hits? It was not a strong look. There was a lot of red on that. I think he missed three out of his last four penalties before this one matter, which, which surprised me a bit. But yeah, it was, a, it was a good penalty, wasn't it? You're only as good as your last penalty. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, he's brilliant. He'll definitely keep penalty duties because Van Gaal appears to have a uh, a pretty strict system. He said, yep, Van Persie's missed one, so he's at the bottom of the list now. It's like, wow, zero tolerance. Yeah, interesting. Doesn't doesn't go that way. Yeah, well, you're right. Doesn't go that way for performances, does it? He's really dog-turred for months. <laughs> uh, I'm just picking him out at random because there could have been many players I, I mentioned there. It uh, doesn't get dropped. Funny that. Uh, misses a penalty and, and gets dropped from penalty duties. Um, i tell you who... Because I, I, Rooney, we know he's not going to get dropped. But i tell you who I would have dropped before that game. And that's Maran Fellaini, who's been pretty terrible for four, five games in a row now. Maybe not five. Maybe it's four. But, of course, he did a fantastic bit of head on the stickery uh, and got himself to the back post and scored an absolutely vital vital goal for United so the first half was pretty much business as it has been recently wasn't it except we actually did manage to get a goal a complete dominance of possession Palace had two shots on goal in the first half we had seven five of which were from inside the box it looked like it was going to be all United and I think you know you're right to call it a four out of ten performance in the second half, but there really were mitigating circumstances because the team was obviously reshuffled anyway to deal with injuries, although just putting Blint in the central midfield instead of Carrick isn't a huge change. But then Shaw went off again in the first half. And uh, what did you think of Van Gaal's decision to bring on Evans and play him at centre-back and then put Phil Jones at left-back after Shaw was injured rather than uh, one of the alternatives available to Van Gaal? Yeah, a lot of stuff in there. So on the defensive change, I guess he didn't want to swap too many things around. Actually, Smalling and, and Jones were pretty effective, I thought. Uh, loaded tackles, clearances, interceptions, blocks and all of that kind of stuff. So I, I, their numbers looked good and I thought they performed pretty well. So Jones, not an actual left-back by any means, but he did OK there against... Um, you know, we, we picked it out last week, didn't we? We said uh, Palace would be a threat on the break because they've got some pacey wide men and they are a threat on the break. So I, I thought United did all right there. You you said something uh, heretical in my view just a moment before that when you said Blint for Carrick isn't much of a change. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's a massive change. It, it's, a, it's a huge difference. Blint is completely ineffective there. I'm just not buying. I think, I think people are sucked in by his good looks. You know, they, there's a, the, all those psychological studies that people with uh, better looks get better jobs and all of that. I, I think he's uh, wangled his way into this Manchester United team just because he looks pretty. Not much else to him. He's, he's no character. And I, I think 
the stats with Carrick in and out of the team uh, are very telling. United have won something like 70% of games with him in the team and 30% of games with him not in the team this season. He's he's pretty much equally split between injured and playing, um, which which makes a big difference, I think. And, and Blint, just nothing there for me. He's just not a, a, a Manchester United quality defensive midfielder. He's done... Much, much better when he's played at left-back. Um, and then the final point you made about Shaw going off, the man's made of glass, isn't he? It's such a shame, you know, and completely unlucky. He took an elbow to the face, which the referee didn't see, and a hard one. He looked uh, all at sea, didn't he? But uh, And he just got back in the team, and he looks like he's injured again. Yeah, when I said Lint for Carrick isn't much of a change, I, I know what you're saying. I, I didn't actually mean in terms of quality. I meant in terms of uh, tactical shape and stuff. But yeah, it, it is a drop-off in quality there, although I think you're too harsh on him, but that's fair enough. Um, he didn't do a very good job in the wall, did he? That's for sure. Although the sun was right in his eyes in his defence. I'm not even having that. Sun's in his eyes. Oh, dear. I think he was protecting his hair, wasn't he? I, I believe I tweeted moments after it happened, Ed is going to claim that he was protecting his hair on podcast here. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the thing about Shaw is played every game for Southampton last season. It's not a De Silva situation where he's constantly been made of glass his whole career. So it is a bit confusing, really, that he's come to United and just fallen apart of the seams. And I wonder whether some of it is just that it has been a difficult transition for him. And so, you know, the body is more vulnerable when you're in a state of anxiety and all that sort of stuff. So I, I wonder whether that's got something to do with the fact that he's picked up so many injuries and maybe next season will be a little better because because this is not what we expected from Shaw. It's not necessarily been the pattern of his career. Right, yeah. yeah no, you're right there. Maybe they're all suffering from anxiety because they're all dropping injured or, or maybe there's something in the training regime. All the water this season that's uh, made them all injured. Certainly something to look at over the summer. I hope United are thinking about why they got so many injuries this season because it's definitely affected the team's results, no doubt about it. And and if United want to move from pushing for fourth place next season to pushing for the title, then we, we can't be doing with key players injured all the time. It makes too big of a difference. And I don't think United are going to patch all the problems in the summer. So we can't be having this level of injuries, most number of injuries in the Premier League. So I don't know what it is. Uh, we debated a lot in the autumn, didn't we? And uh, I don't think anyone's actually come out and said, yeah, we worked out what the problem is. But uh, still quite a few injuries at the moment. I mean, Raymond Verheyen is pretty convinced about what the problem is. He's definitely got Van Gaal. He, he's, he's a, he talks about Van Gaal as, as a brilliant coach who can get the best out of his players and basically makes up for the fact that he's not very good with the periodization and all this sports science training-y stuff and he works his players too hard and stuff. But, you know, uh, Raymond Verheyen says that about everybody. So <laughs> He does, yeah. He, I don't remember him actually <laughs> praising a coach. Saying, I, I'm not even sure what periodization <laughs> no, is. I, I, I have no idea. I just can't stop. I can't bring myself to unfollow him on Twitter because I find him so amusing. I have a sneaky suspicion he might be right about a lot of things, though. But anyway, uh, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if history vindicates old Raymond. Yeah. Anyway, um, before that, you, you mentioned Fellaini, and I, I didn't I didn't actually respond there. You know, he had a decent game yesterday. Um, Did he? I mean, you know, he's 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 passed the ball neatly down the left hand side with Young, and that's that's what he's there for. Um, I found it hilarious though his goal. He's marked by three defenders. He doesn't even jump, 
not even nearly jump, and he, he just kind of nods it in. That's the thing with Maran. He's like seven foot tall, but he can't get himself off the ground. He's the, I don't know what Fellaini is, but Fellaini, Fellaini's cannot jump. And uh, he never, I guess, needed to. Um, helped somewhat by Random Al Falcao's outrageous foul, <laughs> which was a great piece of work because uh, the referee didn't spot it, but pushing the defender into the goalkeeper. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Fellaini is probably maybe the only United player who had a better first, second half than first half, apart from De Gea, because he needed to. But I thought Fellaini was absolutely dreadful in the first half. I thought he was miles off the pace and, and sort of part of the problem really, but I don't know, that, that, that was my take on that. Falcao, you mentioned Falcao, much, much better than Wayne Rooney in that game, and I think Rooney was probably carrying an injury. I mean, first of all, just your own eyes will tell you that Falcao did did more and made more of a difference up front than, than Rooney did. Just the way Falcao set that ball up for Herrera was better than anything Rooney managed in the first half, but he managed to actually keep the ball when it was fired to him. One unstable touch from Falcao's. I haven't looked at the numbers. I'd be willing to bet that's his lowest in any game of the season so far he he actually managed to do it and his his his, uh distribution was very tidy when he got the ball he hardly ever gave it away but I did think when he when he did set set up Herrera for that shot right near the end just Atletico Madrid players that played with Falcao would just be looking at that kind of rewinding it doing a double take making sure that really is definitely Falcao that's passed the ball through rather than having a shot in that position Mm, Rooney who touched the ball 12 times in that first half um, and he was just not in the game at all. So, yeah, we'll call that the dead leg that he, yeah. he got and tried to run off, even though it was pretty much the same performance that we've got out of him for the last few games, we've had the last few months, stroke, years. So all joking aside about Rooney, all kind of agenda cast jokes aside, uh, he's in a very poor run of form at the moment, and it's really unfortunate and badly timed. But he has played every game this season although you know the fact that we haven't played European football or whatever and he hasn't literally played every game he's played I think he's missed four games all season and he's played in midfield he's played up front it's been a difficult season for him and he's done okay over the whole course of the season but I think if you're arguing that Wayne Rooney's been playing well in the last few games then uh, you've got an agenda on the other side of the argument to ours I'd say because uh, it's been pretty, pretty poor. Yeah, it has. Uh, um, he's on course for his lowest ever goal output uh, for United. So I know he's played in midfield, but it, it's about a third of the time he's played in midfield. So, you know, I don't know. I, I just I don't, I don't see much there that tells me he's either had a, a good season in terms of form or, or that he's not declining as a player. So uh, people don't like to hear that. You know, a lot of people claimed he had a good season last season when effectively he was running around tackling people at left back. And if that's um, if that's a good season for your principal striker, then, you know, God help us. But um, there you go. I-, I can't say much about Rooney because, you know, I just get hundreds of people like hating on me on Twitter. It's a shame. But I, I feel like this particular game... Uh, and, and in fact, this particular run of form, I don't see how anyone really could take the other side of the argument. You could you could use the Gary Neville argument about his performance against City and cite two moments of positional discipline as proof that Rooney's been having some good performances lately. But you know, it's uh, it's been it's been a barren spell, and he's played up front for a lot of it. And even when he's not been playing up front, he's been playing right in attacking midfield at number ten. So you'd expect better of him. And we need better of him, and I would love better from him as well. This is not an anti-Rooney thing. This is just a, hey, look, 
look at this man's form. It's not good at the moment. Someone who is in good form at the moment, a man of the match, according to Gary Neville, although I think that was a controversial decision given De Gea's performance. Ashley Young, credited with an assist for the first goal in that weird who wins the penalty assist rule and a superb assist for the second goal. Looped it up brilliantly. A 1-2 with Fellaini, although there were several touches uh, in the middle of that. As, uh, but I thought Young was direct. He, he took defenders on a lot. And if he could cross with his left foot as well, he'd be a really good winger. But it was a superb ball and, and an all-round good performance. Yeah, not bad. He was very direct. He he uh, took on the, the defender every single time he got the ball, which is, you know, good to see. And yes, he's not effective with, with his left foot, but he did actually try and put the ball in with his left foot a, a couple of times, which is... You know, he did. We, we have one and a half tricks from the pony now, which is which is better. Great ball for Fellaini. Uh, I'm not giving him an assist for the penalty. No way. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no. And surely Opta don't count that as an assist. I don't, I don't believe that. He's actually, so counting Fellaini, that's four assists this season and two goals. So the numbers don't really stack up, but the performances have certainly been better than in previous years for Fellaini. I mean, thinking about when Nani had his one great season at United, he got something like 15 goals and 17 assists. So Ashley Young is well, well down on that. But he's had a much better season than the previous what four seasons combined. Yeah, and of course, Young gives you stuff defensively that Nani could only have done in his dreams. Although, actually... Nanny's defensive contribution was always slightly underrated because he was such a show pony on the ball. You kind of assume he doesn't work hard, but he did work hard. But but Young can play as a defender. That's kind of how effective he is defensively, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know what I'd want, though. So 30-plus goals, you know, in, including assists or a bit of defensive hard work, I'd definitely take the goals, especially in United's mm. position of of struggling to create at the moment. So, yeah. um, which of course, um, and we'll, we'll come on to him in a bit. Um, we're, we're hoping our, our new signing will solve that problem. I mean, Nani comes back in the, the summer. No, wait a <laughs> no. Memphis Depay, uh, who signed for what could be well over 30 million pounds. Um, an amazing fee to pay for someone who's uh, not, not really proven, but um, a, a great talent. So every, everybody tells me. Yeah, let's come come back to Depay in a second uh, because uh, there's a player who's going to be off in the summer who's worth talking about in that previous game because we've mentioned it briefly. But, I mean, you know, Ron Atkinson, who I hate to quote given how it all ended, used to quite often say during his commentary when when a close game happened and, and a team hit the post or uh, a goalkeeper made a good save, he used to say the game could turn on that. And he was quite often right. It is, it is notable how often a kind of near miss... Uh, do you remember when Patrice Evra missed um, or hit the post, I think it was, uh, when it was 4-2 against Everton? And uh, then Everton came back and won four all. Games games do swing on this. And when De Gea made that incredible fingertip save from Glenn Murray, I thought, ah, uh, I've just had my confidence that we're going to win this game restored because it felt like that kind of a moment. Yeah, yeah, not fingertip, full hand uh, and full, very strong hand as well. He's uh, obviously gets a lot of wrist exercise in there. Yeah, I'll just leave that one with you. Uh, just a, another brilliant performance from De Gea. You'd tell anything to keep him at the club because, you know, l- let me tell you, this, this is going to be as significant if he goes this summer. And, you know, maybe United will force him to say because of this. But if he goes this summer, it's as significant as losing a 30 
goalie a season striker you know he's he saved united so many points this season world class in every sense you know cliche but just his standing in the game best keeper in the world at the moment given some of Neuer's antics this season uh, and uh, it's going to be a huge loss if he ends up at Madrid especially if he doesn't go for a decent fee because you know that contract is not signed despite all the uh, the paper rumours at the moment. Yeah, and the paper rumours aren't exactly fantastic, are they? They're not like De Gea signs five-year contracts, gets Stretford End for life tattooed on his back or anything. This is like... Right, yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, d- I don't believe any of this until he's he's standing there with Ed Woodward and a shit-eating grin, right? So I mean, it's, it's also just a two-year contract that's being talked about that's the the big kind of rumor that broke was that there's a two-year contract extension in the offing now to me a two-year contract extension would mean two years from from next summer which no i can see some merit but i don't think it is is it they're talking about 24 months from this summer which means we're exactly where we are now in 12 months time yeah And, and all that would tell you is that united are giving him a large bonus uh, in return for making sure they get a decent transfer fee. That, that's the only reason for that happening in that uh, that kind of length of contract. They, they will give him a huge pay rise and a bonus linked to that contract in, in order to stay one year much like they did with Ronaldo. And, and they're going to try and, ex- if this happens, extract a large fee from Madrid. And that's because he's made his decision that he's going to go and, and they're going to try and keep him for one more year. So I don't really understand the finances of this because if you could... if Next summer, he's got a year on his contract. Why is he going to command a very large transfer fee when he wouldn't command a large transfer fee now? Because he's only got a year on his contract. If you extend the contract for two years, doesn't the bit where you get a big transfer fee only apply this summer? That might be right, yeah, but I think you're, you're digging into the minutiae. I mean, I, look, it's definitely the case that they're trying to extend the, the contract so they can keep him and, and uh, get a larger transfer fee out of this. And... Of course, he's a, a Jorge Mendes client, so, you know, a popular agent at Old Trafford these days. A very popular agent who they've enriched um, wildly, but they want to keep him on side. And, and so, you know, that's why they'll do it. There'll be a big bonus for Jorge Mendes, a big bonus for David De Gea. He may well stay another year or United will have a, a you know large fee for it. And that, that's all they're concerned about because the guy's definitely going. It's just about when and for how much. Part of me still clings on to hope <laughs> that, you know, if we show that we're competing for the league next season, things might change a bit, but... I suspect that probably is not the case. I think we know it's not about league titles. This is about Real Madrid and his uh, his girlfriend. So, uh, and mostly about Real Madrid. Falcao might end up staying for another season on loan. This is what all the uh, behind the scenes shenanigans talk is suggesting at the moment. It's some kind of weird punishment. You get to keep De Gea for another year if you keep Falcao <laughs> as well. I mean, so long as we don't rely on it definitely working out. That's not the worst thing in the world because there is some small chance that proper pre-season and having had a season in the Premier League to adapt, there's some small chance that Falcao improves. But I think... No, no, he doesn't. Look at the way he plays now. So I just don't buy this at all. You know, a lot of people saying, oh, he goes to Liverpool and scored 30 goals. No, he's playing in a completely different way. So whereas... Before he wanted the ball ahead of him so he could run onto it. He comes deep now to seek the ball into feet, playing in a completely different way. And he's ineffective as a result. So uh, he's not a player. He wants a ball at feet that's going to play the ball around. He's, he's half the player. 
where he's explosive is when it's in front of him and he can shoot from distance or or uh, take those you know very early shots that he was famous for and with the kind of accuracy of shooting he can't do it anymore he's not getting the ball in those positions because he's not making the same kind of run so I don't think there's any chance that he becomes the player he once was the way he's playing right now I don't think this is about fitness and he's suddenly going to improve over the summer he's had a year to get fit I think unfortunately he's lost five percent of him, and he's adjusted the way he plays. It's like it's like Tiger Woods, you know. He, he had to tinker with his uh, swing because of the back injury, and and suddenly he's no good anymore. Right? Yeah, I don't really understand that reference. I mean, I kind of understand that reference, but not in any specific way. Is that what's happened to Tiger Woods? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's not a golf cast, so let's let's not go crazy <laughs> here. Yeah. The point being that Falco has definitely changed the way he's playing. You know, spend some time watching him. He, he's not going to become the player he once was. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, to be honest, I thought this was quite obvious early in the season with him coming deeper. You know, I, I thought, well, maybe he'll, as he gets confidence and fitness, he'll change that. But he hasn't. And uh, th- this is the result, right? So even if he has a brighter game, runs around, he's all heart and he, he wants it more than most. And, you know, you feel sorry for him because of that, because he's not a preening cock. But he's just not the player he once was. Yeah, I find that hard to argue with part of me also thinks things do change and people do rediscover themselves after injury you know um maybe not 30 goals but you know 15 isn't out of the question uh, although 265 grand a week for 15 goals a season doesn't seem like a particularly good hit rate no it doesn't and in fact when you're in he's only got 14 this season <laughs> angel di maria didn't play any part in this game conspiracy or injured apparently yeah uh, somebody said they saw him on crutches, so no idea whether that's true or not. The Di Maria situation continues to spiral. I mean, it just doesn't seem that likely that he'll be in the side come the beginning of next season, given the way this season's gone. And that one really is a massive shame. Uh, it's, but, you know, also I think that one is, is slightly too early to write that off altogether, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I, it's very different, right? This is It's not a guy who's injured. This is a guy who's whose head's not in the right place at the moment. So um, I don't see why he can't get back the form of old, but maybe it's not going to be Old Trafford, yeah. I mean, when, when you think about it, United's mega spending spree last summer, it's not brought much of a return, has it? So you've got Falcao, Crocs, Di Maria, had a terrible season. Marcos Rojo, who's lost over half the games through injury. It was shame because, you know, he did actually look very good. That would be a bonus. And Herrera, who's been excellent when he's not been on the bench. Uh, and Daly Blint, who I think, to be honest, is just not that good. Uh, and, and Luke Shaw, who's been injured most of the, the season. So it's not looking like a great uh, summer spending spree. Falcao side, you know, alone, it could still come good with all those players. And, you know, I think... Blint will be a useful squad addition. Uh, United will definitely buy another player of his ilk in the summer and a better one. And, and Blint will be a backup left back or a backup defensive midfielder. And and the rest of them, there's hope there, right? Because I think Herrera's had a very good last couple of months. Not not brilliant against Palace. Rojo, we just want to get him fit because, you know, I think he's a fine defender when he is fit. He He surprised me with his quality. And sure, I've got every hope that he's going to be a really top quality left back if only he can actually get on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a a very accurate uh, summation of it. And this summer's signings, as we talked about earlier, have already started. Louis van Gaal said he had to sign Memphis Depay because otherwise Paris Saint-Germain would have signed him. Very interesting and classic van Gaal 
open and honest interview. I mean, it's remarkable the extent to which he tells the truth in pre-match press conferences. I feel like post-match, he's sometimes slightly inclined to uh, to letting his emotions get the better of him, saying Chelsea, the performance against Chelsea was our best of the season, was more than a stretch as far as I'm concerned. But pre-match, just remarkable honesty. He was asked about Depay, he said, I don't like to do the deal early because I don't think it's fair to the existing club that he's at and I also don't think it's fair to my existing players who've still got important games to play for. But he was going to go to Paris and I had to use my connection to the player to uh, make the transfer happen uh, so that he would not go to Paris. He he was then asked a follow-up question. If he's so keen to come to United, why why did you have to do that? And Van Gaal said, well, because I hadn't spoken to him yet. So then I had to speak to him. And then as soon as I did, that was it. Mm. Although he was photographed with a player about a month ago. Yeah, I, I, but so, I assume you know, that's like... Not formally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, well, yeah, it was remarkably happy. And the funny thing about Van Gaal press conferences is that you always feel like, hmm, which part of that was true and which part of it wasn't? And I think this is a legacy from Ferguson yeah. because, you know, with Ferguson, it was all <laughs> lies, uh, just like 100%. And um, and actually, Van Gaal, he basically just tells the truth. If you read between the weird um, semantics, uh, you know, his kind of Dutch phraseology, yep. uh, he just he gives you the team every yep. weekend. And uh, and then yeah, remarkably open with the rest of it as well in terms of you know the reasons for picking players or training and and he doesn't always give us the answers in the order that we'd like but yeah I think he's a, a great source of information. Depay I should call him Depay because that, that's what he calls himself. Um, although he likes Memphis on the back, the uh, two family stuff hasn't seen his father in many years, but uh, pronounced Depay, isn't it? Or on Depay, it's you know a huge amount of money for a young player, twenty-one years old, only really performed in the Dutch league, uh, the Dutch league, which has brought us uh, wonderful hits such as such as Matai Kesman and and that fat. Brazilian guy who went to Newcastle years ago. Afonso Alves went to Middlesbrough. I was Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Sunderland, yeah. whatever, you know, <laughs> it's all that part of the country. You know, they, they vote in, like, you know, guys in monkey suits in the elections, don't they, around there? That was Hartlepool. <laughs> Honestly, your northeast specificity, Ed, is, uh, is lacking. Northeast, yeah? He, <laughs> yeah. he went to the northeast FC. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, but then has also brought us rude and unfortunately Luis Suarez. So some good players come out of the Dutch league, but it's definitely not the same standard. And Depay, 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 uh, you know, don't watch a lot of Dutch football. Uh, occasionally watch the parts of it on Channel 5, although I haven't even done that this season. So it's really hard to give any kind of honest assessment about um, how good he is at the moment. Uh, his, his show reel on YouTube is pretty awesome. Loads of pace, uh, can go either way, uh, has played exclusively off the left wing for PSV this season and scored 27 goals in 38 games uh, from the left wing. And um, he cuts inside a lot onto his right foot and he shoots with real power and he shoots early. So that's that's your YouTube showreel for you, but it, it pretty much matches up to what people actually know uh, about Dutch football say as well. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things that make me somewhat optimistic that he'll be more at the rude Suarez stam end of things than the kind of Alves Kesman spectrum is just first of all that Van Gaal's brought him early because he bought Blint but as we 
sort of just assume he bought Blint because there were other players he couldn't buy. Or he was always planning to buy Blint, but he was never planning to make him his only option, you know, in that in that role. He he knew that he could trust him and that he would be one of his guys and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Lots of sensible reasons for buying Blint. But this one, it's like he's made him a massive transfer priority got United to buy him ahead of lots of other clubs that were interested in him. And also he had a really impressive run in the World Cup, Depay. Like he wasn't he wasn't in the first eleven much or even at all. I can't remember exactly. But every time he came on he looked really bright and productive and not overawed at that level. So I'm optimistic I mean, you know, optimistic about these things anyway, but um I'm specifically optimistic for a bunch of bunch of reasons. I d I don't I don't think it's a blint situation. So he's played all season in a 4-3-3, at the left of the 4-3-3 and been extremely effective there. And it kind of suggests that United will move to 4-3-3 next season, as have played uh, in, in recent games, I suppose, um, proper Dutch 4-3-3. And, and during the World Cup, uh, when Holland played a 4-4-2, uh, they moved to 4-3-3 when Depay came on. And he's got a couple of goals as a result. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It, all, it all points to that. Of course, big questions then. Uh, Ashley Young played off the left wing. Will he get inside next season? Angel Di Maria sometimes played there. Not not that often, actually, as, as you'd expect. But what does that mean? Is he definitely off? And and what does it mean for people like Adnan Yanezai? Of course, he, he's very comfortable on the right-hand side. I assume he's going on loan now. But, uh, you know, a left-footed player. Um, so lots of questions coming out of this transfer. But, but as you said, yeah, Van Gaal made this a priority. He obvious, obviously really believes this kid is is the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. Also, some brilliant chants always doing the round already. Uh, thanks to Rankcast listener at Rob underscore UWS for sharing a couple of them and coming up with a couple of them. Oh, Memphis Depay to the tune of No Woman No Cry. Perfect. And who's that lad on the wing? Memphis Depay. He scores goals and we all sing. Memphis Depay. Genius. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the Depay sound lending itself to some potential quality chance already. Yeah, of course, the real test being whether they actually catch on on the terraces rather than on Twitter. Yeah, but those those uh, those boys are, between them, also responsible for 20 times, 20 times Man United. So uh, they've definitely got a, a, a history of getting chance on the terraces. Um, so uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if it catches on and it'll be interesting to see if Depay can live up to his billing. I guess he's also very young and it would be, be quite good if we could moderate our expectations in his first season but transfer fees and the excitement around transfers and the amount that they get hyped on social media both by fans but also by the club itself do make it slightly difficult for players coming in there's going to be an expectation of performance straight away isn't there yep there is and that's going to be tough on him Ronald Koeman picked this one out and said you know he's a really talented player and he'll be a great uh, asset for United, but it'll be tough for him because it's a very physical league and he's moving and, and all of that, you know, and I think that's that's fair. I think it will be tough and I think that there's a there's a chance Van Hol trying to phase him into the side. 
which will, you know, uh, alleviate some of those questions around that I was asking around the other players who like to play in that position. So uh, that'd be very sensible, unless he he's completely explosive during pre-season, of course. Uh, and and we'll find out. But there's been players that are more experienced than Depay who've struggled when they've come to a new country. So, you know, we, we do need to temper our expectations. Uh, I'm hoping he's at the top end of the scale and, and not a Wilfred Zahar again. Yeah, absolutely. Although I think he's proven himself at a higher level than Zahar has uh, had by the time he came to us because... I'm not sure how you would compare the Dutch league and the championship, but I'm also pretty sure Zaha, Zaha never scored 20 goals in a season, did he? And certainly haven't played at a World Cup. Totally, yeah. Never scored 20 goals in a season. Scored nine in the championship and that got him a £15 million move to Manchester United. So I'm sure you're right. I'm sure the Dutch league is, is better than the championship. It's not Scotland, is it? Just just to, like, you know, crap on some other people north of us. Um, uh, so I, I've got every confidence, you know, uh, based on 10 minutes worth of YouTube footage, uh, he's clearly a quality player. <laughs> um, and a couple of cameos in a World Cup. At Blabberwan says, what kind of pie do you think Memphis the pie is? I'm thinking chocolate cream pie because it has a silky texture. I'm kind of hoping it's a sort of savoury pie, you know, a, a hearty pie that makes a big contribution rather than a kind of fancy pie that finishes off a meal. Although I guess you want him to finish. So these are complicated questions. We've had so many pie-related questions, I can't tell you, Ed. At Peter Myers, 90, on a different subject, says, how much would you give up to keep David De Gea at the club? Wife, children, uh, possessions, uh, I don't know, dignity, something like that. I'm pretty sure, thinking about it, it's nothing. I'm pretty sure there's nothing that I have that's important to me that I would give up. And in reality, this is about the club. Uh, spending large amounts of money to convince him to stay or, or you know, probably just can't. Yeah, absolutely. It seems very unlikely. At bifurcated underscore MBM says, if we sign Hummels, do we have to wear their kits? No, we've got a kit deal with Adidas. There isn't a German defender called Adidas, is there? Well, there might be, yeah. Um, Memphis, who is an Adidas-sponsored player. Ah, well, there we go. That's what's really going on, isn't it? We're definitely going to get Ronaldo back now. No, wait a minute, Ronaldo's with Nike, and it. We're definitely going to get Messi now. Abic Patel 90 says, how do I become a friend of the rank cast? I think there's two ways that you can do that. The first one is by knowing us and like meeting in real life and stuff. And the other one is money. <laughs> just just a, size, a sizable donation at unitedrand.co.uk slash donate will definitely earn you friends of the rank car status. Is that right? You're so easily bought off. I, I, I wasn't sure how you get it. I thought it was like a Blue Peter badge or something. You had to send in a crayon drawing and, and you'd uh, you'd get a Friend of the Rankast badge back. Man, we've got to get a P.O. box set up, Ed, so that we can get that to be done. I, I think, yeah, Friend of the Rankast is also, in all seriousness, just people that have supported the show for ages and have got in touch on Twitter and we chat back and forth and all that stuff. And there's a, there's a lot of you out there and, and it's uh, incredibly lovely. It's been one of my favourite things about doing this podcast actually oh on a scale of one to bebe asks at amal bajaj 92 how bad is johnny evans he's gone the full bebe hasn't he i I mean in a way i feel sorry for him because uh, he had that six game ban which was pretty dubious and then got an injury straight away afterwards 
And then you're thinking, okay, you know, coming on, here's a test for you, Johnny. And then he falls over twice in completely comedic fashion. So, And he's had an absolutely horrendous season. And United are going to buy at least one central defender, maybe two. And he's right down at the bottom of the pecking order. I agree, basically. Although I thought there were a couple of things that he actually did quite well yesterday, which somewhat surprised me because there are things that he hasn't necessarily done well. A couple of moments of really good positioning that you sort of saw a bit of the best of Johnny Evans again. Very brief glimpses. And the falling over thing, I have literally never seen that many people accidentally fall over in a football match ever in my life before. They were all going like that. Something must have been up with that pitch because maybe 60% of the players involved in that game slipped over at some point it was crazy they were dropping like flies flies don't slip over on a football pitch i'm just just saying you <laughs> all know. right all right uh, captain where does that phrase come from uh, it comes from the fact that in the summer you see loads of dead flies on windowsills doesn't it that's where it comes from uh-huh nice yeah it would probably quite apt when it comes to johnny evans his his united career is dead like a dead fly on a windowsill doesn't quite work but but you know what I mean. Having done one self-indulgent Rancast-based question, let's do another one. At Fat Bob a lot says, if you guys had to make a non-football-related podcast, what would it be about? So I'm assuming we have to do this together because I think we've both got separate interests that we could make podcasts about. But like, I'd like to do a video games podcast one day if I had more time. Uh, but I don't suppose that'd be your bag. No, I, I don't have time to play video games, let alone record a <laughs> podcast on the interweb about them. So I reckon it would have to be Musocast, right? That's given that by far the most feedback we ever get about our episodes is about the playout track at the end of them. That, that's true, actually. No one actually cares about the 50-odd minutes of talking about <laughs> football beforehand and just skip straight to the end to, <laughs> to, to find out whether it's a good track or a bad track this week, which, will, which would definitely indicate who picked the track. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I, I reckon we could do a music podcast. I think that would be fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's strange being, you know, like in music these days, because it used to be you could uh, delve into your massive collection of LPs or CDs or whatever it was. But uh, having given my hundreds of CDs to charity a couple of years ago, probably a bit more than that, and, and relied solely on the interweb for, for music, it's not even really delving into a CD collection, is it, anymore? It's uh, looking through Spotify. It is, but then that sort of means you can listen to all the music that exists. It's... It does, it does, yeah, which is quite good, actually. It's a, it's a good game to play, just uh, uh, follow one artist to another through related artists and discover new stuff. I have to say, I occasionally want to sit down with young people and say, it didn't used to be like this, you know. You had to like listen to the radio and press record and try not to get the DJ on the tape and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that's a proper old-sounding thing. Um, do you think music sounds like noise these days, Paul? <laughs> No, you know I'm a big fan of contemporary pop music, right? That's true. Well, and and are you? Well, yes, certainly. Certainly when it comes to the Swifter, <laughs> that's very true. But mainly you just listen to, like, angry people rapping. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. I very rarely listen to angry people rapping. I listen to kind of conscious hip-hop quite a lot. But, uh, yeah, I have very broad musical taste. Yeah, I prefer to be unconscious. Uh, hip-hop is not my thing. Imagine not liking hip-hop. Anyway, uh, at Ian Prest says, since we found out just how poor pollsters are, could it be possible that United are actually top of the table? <laughs> yeah, 
No, I think the exit poll has shown United will be coming in fourth. <laughs> yeah. God, that was super intense, wasn't it? That moment when that exit poll came out. And I suddenly, I had a bit of hope because in my head, exit polls are like wildly inaccurate because I remember 1992 and a friend of mine linked me to this article about how exit polling had changed in the early 2000s and, and since then had been like frighteningly accurate. And it was... They was slightly wrong. The Tory majority was actually more than the exit polls predicted. Well, I mean, you know, it's terrifying. It's, it's a tough one being a red, isn't it, of, of different ilks? Because uh, United's rampant capitalism is uh, everything you don't believe in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really is, especially the manner in which the capitalism is expressed at United through kind of commercialism and branding and people paying higher ticket prices it's like it is it's everything that's wrong with society in that sense and the antithesis to that is fc united of course who got promoted this season we didn't talk about it a couple of weeks ago uh, confirmed their promotion they'll be playing in the national league north which is an oxymoron if uh, ever there was one yeah which is basically the one step down from what used to be the blue square bet so one step down from the conference league six level six which is a phenomenal 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 achievement and yeah it's taken a very long time to get out of their current division seven years in that division but uh they'll be playing in a brand new stadium next season and uh you know fully fan backed fully fan paid for or mostly fan paid for and uh, yeah now league six it could happen you know united could play them in the fa cup one year that'd be good wouldn't it well it, it kind of would but it would also be a bit sad because you know the existence of FC United is a wonderful thing, uh, but the fact that FC United has to exist is a really, really sad thing, you know, because FC United is what Manchester United should be in terms of the model, you know, should be for the benefit of the community, fan-owned, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, since we're on this, it's uh, 10 years to the week since the Glazers confirmed their takeover of Manchester United. <sighs> yeah, and... Uh, The worst predictions of doom and gloom haven't occurred and sadly what that means is that quite often the really dreadful things that have happened get brushed under the carpet. The Glazers through a combination of luck and Sir Alex Ferguson's remarkable capacity to achieve something with uh, not that much to overachieve, let's say, have uh, succeeded in the leverage buyout of a football club. Yeah, no, United still have nearly £400 million worth of debt, but it's a, it's a debt that's, um, in a way, is not just workable, but useful because uh, they write off a large percentage of uh, interest payments against tax. Um, I think, uh, sensibly, you deleverage a bit more than this. But uh, you're right, yeah, they, they succeeded in that takeover, the, the what were the pick loans the really high interest loans were paid for by some loan somewhere mysteriously taking out in the states a, a bridging loan of some kind which the glazers have been using proceeds from uh, the recent ipo rounds to pay down we presume um and and outside of that they got extremely lucky with the tv deals mul- multiple tv deals adding piles of cash into the football system which they couldn't have banked on and then did very well uh, in in commercializing the club although of course if you look at united's major rivals throughout europe then they also have done the same thing so united have ridden the wave there and then the third major area of increased income was from ticket prices which they pushed up very high in the first few years of their ownership and then frozen since as it's become less important as a as a relative income source as broadcasts and commercial incomes uh, drove ever higher so they've been very successful in terms of their 
their model. Uh, they were very fortunate uh, that they have been successful. It could have gone uh, very differently. And um, and, and actually, and people argue uh, the contrary to that. Uh, really, do need to learn some basic economics around. Uh, the business of football but you know the truth is i think apart from that macro picture the the sad bit has been the amount of people disenfranchised who can't afford to go and see united because it is still expensive or just don't want to because they don't believe in this kind of football and that that's the 4000 people who moved away and formed their own club at fc united the fact that the fans have no say or no influence uh, or not even respected as a community by these owners and and their stay away owners and then there's the kind of horrible corporate stuff you know this is a club that is uh, registered in the Cayman Islands and listed on New York Stock Exchange you know it's a long way from a working man's club formed out of the railway workers as Newton Heath you know 120 odd years ago yeah absolutely and you know some people don't think that stuff matters and I'm not one of those people I think it it, of course it matters because what is the point of football if it's not uh, for the people? You know, if it's just expensive entertainment, then, you know, probably might want to think about being less emotionally invested in it because... Well, that's very true. Yeah, you don't get emotionally invested in Hollywood movies, do you? So not like people are wandering around cinemas with Tom Cruise banners making up Tom Cruise chants. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, which would be the equivalent, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I yeah. suppose people do get emotionally invested in, in music, um, you know, not quite to the same extent, but they do. Uh, and you're right, if it is just business, uh, as people have told me many, many times over the last 10 years in, in various forms of communication, then, then yeah, don't get emotionally involved. But football clubs are a part of the community, an important part of the community, and successive governments and the FA and the Premier League have allowed that to be eroded to an unacceptable extent, in my view. And and it's the thing of the, the new normal, isn't it? That It's that each generation comes along and the situation that they find, they just feel is normal. And it's how the right wing have eroded the power of community and the power of, you know, that there are things going on now that if you transplant it's someone even from 15 years ago to now without having seen any of the interim changes they'd they'd be in a state of shock in terms of like what's available to people who are struggling and all that kind of stuff you know um and and if you transported someone from the 50s to now in terms of how football is run they would find it completely and utterly intolerably unacceptable but it's been eroded slowly but surely over time and that's one of the reasons that fc is something that i you know, f- feel very full of admiration for is because they were people that said, now I'm just not going to participate any in this anymore. And, you know, we obviously participated in, a, in it a lot. And I do feel some degree of ambivalence about that because at least, you know, making some attempt to be a voice of opposition to the changes that have happened and continue to happen. It's It's got to the point where... United don't need the Glazers out of the club for the sustainability of the club, which I think was the case 10 years ago, because the level of risk that was taken with our football club, just because the risk paid off in in a very simplistic um in a very simplistic way, you could say the risk paid off, but it doesn't mean it was ever a risk worth taking. But now we want the Glazers out of our club so that we can 
give back some of the I, I'm going to use the word spiritual but I don't mean it you know you know I don't mean it in an afterlife sense I mean the kind of the spirit of the club is still has this degree of bankruptcy at the heart of it you know moral bankruptcy at the heart of it and it would be nice if that wasn't there anymore mm, yeah uh, there's uh, there are still questions surrounding the the Glazer ownership and their management of the club and where we go from here I mean seventh last season fourth this season we think we're on a an upward trajectory and we assume there's going to be some more spending this summer and United certainly got the cash for it now you know, as in free cash flow um discounting all the debt and there's more coming in from the new TV deal that's to come. But but you look across the states at Tampa Bay, and and in 12 years they've made two playoffs, right? So they've that they've allowed a club that was always a mid-ranking club anyway to erode into mediocrity. And and their motivations are still the same. In the end, is is about making sure that the the franchise, in inverted commas, at Manchester United is is worth both a high level in terms of capital, but also in cash flow generation. You know and and neither of those things need United to be top of the Premier League every season and winning the European Cup. And that's always been the case, right? So um, as long as United are in the Champions League and somewhere competing, uh, there's this huge global fan base that will allow United to commercialise them. And that that is all completely different from the, the spiritual thing you were talking about, which is completely right too. You know, the, the what United was has been eroded to nothing. And, you know, the fans are now customers and that's really sad. Yeah, I, <clears throat> there's a couple of small things that have changed for the better. But I'm not sure there's any substance to them changing for the better, uh, whether it's just PR. Woodward was very keen on fan engagement because David Gill had completely disengaged with the fans, right? So there have been some links built and it led to the singing section. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is a, a huge, massive other debate and the way it was handled and all that stuff. But Engaging with what fans? <clears throat> um, well, th- th- some of the fan groups will talk to the club, right? So Must will talk to the club. Um, I, forgive me if I'm wrong about some of these specifics, but, you know, there are people that will, will engage with the club now. I mean, I'm not talking about Stratford End flags, if that's what you're wondering. And the the other thing is, I wonder whether some of the motivation has changed because Malcolm Glazer died and that United haven't been run in the same way that the uh, the Bucks were run in the sense that there was this massive investment last summer and we have already spent big this summer. You know, we've started that ball rolling and it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a summer of austerity from United, does it? So... No, no, you're right. Yep, yep. I, I mean, of course, we know that three of the, the Glazer kids, six Glazer kids um, are on United's board, three of them want out, right? And, and they've been pressing for that quite hard and the other three don't. Um, so at, at some point you wonder when they when they exit because that's typically what you get in a leveraged buyout. You know, the, the, the rhetoric, of course, has been that they're here for the long term. Maybe they believe there's more value to be extracted from the club before they go. So we'll see. Anyway, that's, that's 10 years of the Glazers. I don't think that's a pretty story. One other thing that might not be a pretty story this week, United play Arsenal. <laughs> um, and Arsenal, uh, aside from that draw with Chelsea, haven't lost since February uh, and been on a, an outstanding run of form. Yes. But I've got some degree of optimism based on how good we've been about against big sides. Liverpool hadn't lost since whenever, since the last time they'd played us, when they came to Old Trafford and played us, and we uh, smashed them off the park. Um, of course, no Michael Carrick, 
We wonder if that's a, a, an absolute disaster. And I think Arsenal are empirically a much better side than Liverpool, as the table will show. And they will be emboldened by the fact that they got the old Trafford hoodoo off their backs in the FA Cup, didn't they? I imagine this game will be relatively similar to that because Arsene Wenger does seem to be slightly revelling in this new system of uh, giving up some of possession and and playing a bit of counter-attacking football. It's amazing that it took him 15 years or whatever to learn that that might be worth trying too. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, going to be a tricky game, isn't it? Yeah, it is. They found the right balance. Uh, I mean, they still do play possession football against teams that they're superior to. 70% 70% possession against Hull the other week. They were very effective, weren't they? So, And they've got all these attacking players and they can swap players in and out. And Giroud scoring a lot of goals. Sanchez still very effective, perhaps not as good as he was in the autumn. Ozil's found some form. Uh, Ramsey's now come back into the side. Uh, he spent some time injured. Uh, Wilshire injured. He spent some time injured. <laughs> uh, they found a defensive midfielder in Coquelin who who was a bit of a joke, went to Charlton Athletic, was sort of okay there, came back and then suddenly transformed himself into an outstanding defensive midfielder. So they've got a good balance and with a good summer, they may well push Chelsea properly next season. It could be a very interesting campaign next season with four teams, you know, um, and a very even level, or at least three of them, and then Chelsea fifteen points ahead, or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, they're in. Look, they're in great form. United's record against top side is very good this season, but Arsenal are playing very well at the moment. So I don't think we should kid ourselves that this is a a super tough test, given how United have played in the, over the last four games. There's there's not very much rhythm there, and um, they can have to find it this week. They've got a couple of extra days rest. Don't know whether that makes a big difference, but. Uh, Arsenal don't play till Monday night. Arsenal have got to squeeze in four games uh, in the last two weeks, um, plus the FA Cup final. So they've got a pretty packed schedule. Uh, United don't. So maybe that will play to to United. Maybe not. It's going to be a really fascinating game because you you do kind of, you think that uh, Arsenal will play the way they played in the FA Cup and and, uh, soak up some pressure and then then be very effective on the break in the way they've played at some of the other um, uh, leading sides this season, but they're in such great form. You know, the temptation has got to be to try and control possession, especially where United don't have Michael Carrick. I mean, I guess so, but I think if I was managing a team that was playing United at the moment and I had the opportunity of trying to play counter-attacking football, I would definitely do it because they look super vulnerable to the counter-attack. In fact, one of the things that Carrick being missing does more than anything else is make them look more vulnerable to the counter-attack because I've often been critical over the years of Carrick's defensive uh, physical frailty, but footballing intelligence wise his defending is brilliant you know positioning and all that kind of stuff and he's broken up plenty of counter-attacks from from that kind of work uh, and that's not happening at the moment so United's vulnerability on the counter-attack that would seem to be because I, I think you know we are still very good in possession and and those games against Tottenham and Liverpool and City were all defined by pressing as well weren't they so whenever we lost the ball we were really pressing it was Barcelona 2011 light so if we do that against Arsenal we could we could rattle them and knock them out of their rhythm if they come to try and play and in 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 that way it'd be more like a kind of traditional Manchester United Arsenal clash where we sort of stop them from playing yeah um could go that way I mean United have been so effective at keeping possession I, I think it'll be a pretty balanced game this one and I expect a pretty interesting battle. I mean, in a way, it doesn't matter that much 
does it? Uh, both, both teams should, really should be qualified for the Champions League and uh, and it's just a bit of pride to play for. But, uh, you know, so we'll see whether the intensity drops, certainly if, if Chelsea uh, do get a result on Sunday. Anyway, so what do you expect in terms of the result? I, I, I'm tempted to sit on the fence here and say a draw, which wouldn't be a bad result. I mean, I think the result will depend on a lot of different things. I think if Liverpool lose today, or even draw, right? I think it's over if they draw. That's Am I right about that? Uh, yeah, seven points difference. Yes, y- yes, you'd be right. Okay, so if... Effectively, yeah. If, if it's effectively over, then I think... Because the result doesn't matter, I think it'd be more likely that Arsenal will be have the tails up and want a really good end to the season. But I also think United will will want to will want to put on a show in the last home game of the season because I think that stuff does matter to this team. I think you know our home form has been absolutely wonderful this season, and the atmosphere at the big games in Old Trafford has been really good. Probably the best it's been for talking of the Glazers and stuff that's obviously a big a big factor of what's changed is the atmosphere at Old Trafford but I feel like this season it's been pretty good the atmosphere at Old Trafford in relative terms you know and there is a sort of quite a bond between the team and that home crowd so so I do think that could play into it um and that definitely gives me the confidence that we could we could pull something off. I was also really impressed with United's mental strength against Crystal Palace because they had all these injuries. They were really rattled and shaken and yet they did dig in and find a way to win. And actually, it's been a sort of underrated quality of this side this season. There's been a lot of battling performances where they've won when they're not supposed to win or they've got a last-minute goal for a draw against Newcastle for the win, you know, so... There is some mental strength in this side somewhere. So uh, I'm going to predict a win. Why the heck not? All right. Very good. So so there you go. That That's the week. I guess uh, we're coming to the end of this week's podcast. A fairly long one. But lots to talk about. And um, a, a very important victory for United at, at Crystal Palace. Just, just not a great performance. So, you know, I really hope whatever happens in that Arsenal game, that United find some inspiration from facing a top team. Uh, to put in the kind of performance we saw through that sort of six-game burst, or maybe the, the latter four games of that six-game burst. You know, maybe not the Villa games, yes. maybe three games yeah. of that six-game burst where United actually played well for a while uh, against top sides. Um, it could happen. It definitely could happen. Um, sorry to all the brilliant rank cast questions we didn't get to. There were so many good ones this week as well. Um, maybe we'll do a, a, a little extra rank cast questions bit at some point between now and the end of the season. I think there's two shows left, isn't there? Because we're going to do one after Arsenal and then um, one... End of season spectacular. Yeah, exactly. And then take a long summer break, which will be nice. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, nice for the listeners to not have to listen to us <laughs> chuntering on for an hour. Uh, although they will get you on Twitter. What are you going to do on Twitter when you're not having an anti-Tory I, I tried to keep it within reason. I tried to keep it just kind of just to the the last few days leading up to the election i i tried to keep politics away from it because it's obviously it's not a political account but felt important to say something although actually the votes that made the difference in this election are all people that have no idea what a twitter is uh, i'm sure a, a twitter yeah how how do you think ukip's gary neville feels uh, after the election four <laughs> four million votes and he only got one seat <laughs> he's not ukip is he i bet he voted he might have voted green because he's a big environmentalist gary neville isn't he english jobs for english managers <laughs>
Yes. Yeah, the, the electoral system in this country is... I, I wonder whether this this election actually will be something of a death knell for the uh, first past the post system. I wonder. It, it won't be. We had a referendum in the the last parliament, so yeah, no, no chance. Neither of the main political parties want it. Anyway, we're, we're running off into the politics cast, which will be the the third of our <laughs> uh, podcasts after the muso cast. Uh, football is what we talk about on this this show right. mostly, and, give, and a bit of social commentary. Give us a result then on uh, for the Arsenal game. One all. All right, I'm going. I'm going for another two one win to the Reds. Come on, United. Very good. I, I like the positivity. Yeah, if you uh, want to get us in between now and the next show, you can do so on Twitter uh, at United Rant for Ed at UTD Rantcast for me, uh, Facebook.com slash United Rant for both of us. You can read some excellent writing on UnitedRant.co.uk and read what I've got to say all over the place on the internet, including Bleacher Report and New Maxit. And yeah, with that, oh yeah, the other thing is thank you to everyone that's donated to the show. Uh, that's really helpful. UnitedRant.co.uk slash donate. The other thing that really helps us out is um, there, there are two things you can do that are dead easy which help us out and don't involve money on your part. One of them is write us a review on iTunes. Talk about this every now and again, but if you give us a star rating and a review on iTunes, it makes a big, big difference to our chart position over there. And uh, that's how a lot of people discover the show. So that'd be really cool. Uh, and the final thing you can do to help us is uh, just subscribe in whatever software you use to listen to podcasts if you have got a smartphone um but listen to podcasts on your computer or whatever just set up a an app on your smartphone and hit that subscribe button and that helps us out a lot too very good well we'll see you next week let's hope it's a, a positive result against arsenal come on united